How well do you know your neighbours? Well enough to sell electricity to them over the back fence? Would you buy it from them? That's putting it simply, but it's effectively what's starting to happen in parts of Australia right now through a new platform that allows what's known as peer-to-peer trading. If the people behind a growing company based in Perth are right, it may soon be happening on a far more significant scale. Today we're going to meet the remarkable woman who's helping drive that change. Well, I think that, you know, for pretty much the past century, consumers have been at the end of a very long line of electricity, which is centralised generation. And in the past decade, you know, this new system is emerging, characterised by citizen utilities or citizen power stations. It will, you know, profoundly change the face of our energy system very quickly. I'm Adam Morton and this is The Innovators, a rewire podcast for ARENA the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Our guest today is Gemma Green, a Western Australian with a CV too long for me to do it full justice here. As an independent councillor for the city of Perth, she's a grassroots politician, and as a board member for various climate and environmental organisations, she's a champion for sustainability. But the role that's brought her to us today is as co-founder and chair of PowerLedger, a fledgling company that is helping change the way we source and share energy. Gemma, welcome. Hi. And congratulations, before we get started, on having just raised $34 million in an initial coin offering. Thank you. Uh, Before we get to that, I'd like to rewind five years. When you were working in London for investment bank JP Morgan, had been for a decade, you'd studied at Cambridge, what happened to make you decide to throw in that job and that life and make a new start? Well, I missed Australia and I went to London for a couple of years and then I extended it for another year and another year and then all of a sudden a decade had passed and I thought if I don't come home now and see what it's like, I probably never will. And so I bit the bullet and and thought originally I would go to Sydney or Melbourne where most of the banks were. I thought I'd work in finance, but but I felt really compelled to come home to Perth where I grew up and where my family is and, and so I needed to think of something else to do and basically this is it. When you say this, um, it hasn't been a straight launch into PowerLedger, what you're doing now. What did you do initially when you came back? No, initially I I completed a PhD in disruptive innovation looking at energy markets. And as a part of that applied research, I saw that in Australia many houses have rooftop solar, but hardly any apartments do, which is about a third of the housing stock. I also saw that apartments you know, have a piece of legislation that governs them, which is called strata law, and that the strata, the body corporate can be an energy retailer without a retail energy licence, which I thought was quite exciting. I set about designing a solar and battery system for an apartment building uh, in White Gum Valley uh, at a development led by Landcorp, the West Australian State Government Land Development Agency. And uh, uh, I then was trying to find software that would make the system work how I had hoped in the apartment building, which was to allocate units of electricity to each apartment. And if you weren't home to consume that allocation, you could trade it with your neighbours. And I couldn't find anything that did that. And then in January of 2016, actually a former JP Morgan colleague of mine introduced me to two blockchain developers. And I, at that point, had really only heard of the blockchain notionally in terms of the Bitcoin but quickly saw that it could do exactly what I wanted in the apartment building. And I introduced the blockchain guys to Dave Martin, one of the other co-founders, and and he had been working in energy networks for two decades and seen a similar problem in the networks business where because of distributed renewables, the network was being used less. And so the people left 
using it would be paying more. But if you could use the blockchain, you could enable small transactions across the network and the settlement associated with that, so peer-to-peer trading, and maintain utilisation of the network and therefore its relevance. And he said, I want to set up a company. Do you want to join me? And I said, absolutely. And so we did that. We formed the company in May of 2016 and we've got peer-to-peer trading across networks and peer-to-peer trading within buildings. And I think that what the blockchain does is really add a level of sophistication to an energy market that has pretty much for a century been centralised. And now it's becoming more of a hybrid distributed and centralised system. And the blockchain can make that complexity work very transparently and simply. And we should obviously explain here what a blockchain is. But just before we do, so this came in at the end of your PhD. I mean, you were doing a PhD in this area and the solution came in towards the end by the sound of it. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So I was trying to basically find a way to make the system do what I wanted and I couldn't find it. So I ended up, you know, working with my colleagues, developing uh, a solution for that purpose. And so we've deployed it in a couple of apartment buildings in White Gun Valley now. Uh, there are a number of others that are under construction. So I think it allows, it deals with the split incentive problem because often, you know, apartments are investor-owned and tenanted and investors have been reluctant to install solar because the tenant gets the benefit. But under this setup, the tenant pays their electricity bill to the body corporate. So it provides another income stream in addition to the rent which would justify investing in the capital in the first place. And it deals with another issue, which is that if you're an owner-occupier, uh, you know, it might be that you know everyone's allocated electricity, but some people consume more than others. And it's a bit like going to a dinner party where you know, some people are on a diet and other people are on a binge and, and you either end up paying a lot more than what you, sh- you, know, you should have done for dinner or you get annoyed with the fiddliness of having to divvy it all up and what the blockchain does was is makes it fair and makes it really efficient. So it takes all of that experience out. It basically deals with these problems, which is, I think, why renewables hasn't been installed in apartments. And hopefully, as a result of it, it will increase the uptake of renewables in this part of the property market. So effectively, while it's not directly the same thing, the idea is that Renew PhD is what led to the creation of Power Ledger by the sound of it. Just stepping back for a moment, why energy? I'd say it was quite accidental. Between leaving London and coming home to Perth, I did quite a lot of hiking. I went and did the Camino de Santiago and hiked in Nepal and South America and Israel. And I just got fixated in my head with the idea of building an eco-village. And eventually I shared this idea with a friend who said, oh, you should talk to Professor Peter Newman about that. And I wrote him an email and said, like, I'm a returning Western Australian and this is my background and I want to build an eco-village. And he said, oh, that's a great idea. You should do it in Fremantle. And he copied in the mayor of Fremantle to the email. And within a week or so of getting back to Perth, I had you know this meeting set up and I was then persuaded by another friend that I should do it as a PhD. You know, in looking at what would make the best difference, like the biggest difference from a kind of uh, sustainability perspective for a uh, an eco-village, energy just seemed to have the most scope to do something. So that was one thing. And then the second thing was that I heard people talking about batteries back in like 2013 and they were saying that they're so expensive and we should instead install uh, cogeneration plants in eco-villages. And I, I guess I got 
curious around what's happening with the battery forecast prices and I saw that they were very quick. They were coming down at the same rate as solar panel prices were and very quickly they were going to reach parity with the grid and that was part of the analysis that I did in my PhD was when will battery prices reach parity with grid and when will we likely see mass uptake? Just out of interest, what did you find? Well, in Perth, the answer to that is 2018. It's not like at that moment you'll see mass uptake, but I think when it gets 20% cheaper, then you'll start to see mainstream uptake of it and it will you know, profoundly change the face of our energy system very quickly. Mm. And did you have, was it just Perth you were looking at there or did you have a sense of the rest of the country as well? I did actually. The electricity prices on the East Coast are higher, so it could well be that it happens sooner. The difference between the East and the West is that the fixed prices, the daily fixed supply charge is higher. And so there's probably less of an incentive uh, on the East Coast for that reason. But for for multi-tenanted dwellings, like an apartment building, uh, where you might have 100 apartments, and if you create a solar and battery microgrid, instead of having 100 connections to the network, you just have one master meter then the business case for installing a solar storage microgrid is much quicker uh, where you've got a high daily fixed charge because everybody within the network is can contribute that towards the solar and storage microgrid. So I think that the way we do our energy pricing and the tariff reforms that we are impl- instituting now will have a very path-dependent outcome in terms of what whether people peel off the network and uh, who's left using it and who's paying. Yeah, okay. And, and, I mean, so one of the big things driving what you're doing is to try and help avoid what's sometimes called the death spiral, where people peel away from the network and go off-grid and then those who are left behind are going to be facing potentially exorbitant costs to keep centralised power stations running to keep them uh, connected to the grid Um, and that number would diminish over time and it's often those who are least well off who are going to be most affected by that. Yeah, absolutely. That was another finding of my PhD um, which echoed like other research in in that field uh, that, you know, the people left using it are the ones that can afford it the least. So the grids, this idea of going off grid, I I think now is a very romantic notion and it's I installed a battery in Josh Byrne's house who's on ABC Gardening Australia and he had built a 10-star home and had three kilowatts of solar and he was generating way more electricity than he needed but uh, he was still getting a big bill. And so I put a battery in his house, which was the first battery in, household battery installed in the Southwest Interconnected System here in Perth to see whether I could take him off grid. And I got... I think 95% off grid and you might ask, well, why didn't we go the final 5%? And the answer is that there's a few consecutive days in winter where the sun's not shining and if you want to cover for that period, you need almost double the size of the solar and battery system. And if you're not connected to the grid, the rest of the year that's producing all this electricity that you can sell to nobody uh, and the payback on that additional um, solar and battery system is longer than the asset life. So it made no sense from a financial perspective or a sustainability perspective. So the idea of him going off-grid is just really fanciful. So then you're like, well, how do you make sure that he gets remunerated for that surplus electricity? And part of the reason for the PowerLedger platform is to, I mentioned like that the market, it adds a level of sophistication to the market because at the moment energy 
markets are about as geared up to buy surplus electricity from Josh Byrne as, you know, a supermarket is to purchase homegrown tomatoes. Uh, and what our platform does is means that he can get a fair price for that electricity. And it's not just solar electricity. It might be battery sourced electricity that's delivered to the grid in the peak. And so you might get a capacity payment or a payment for ancillary services or frequency control. And that if you get the right price signals in place, you could actually more quickly move to a very resilient distributed energy market that's low cost and low carbon. Is where I assume PowerLedger comes in. So after the break, we'll talk to Gemma about what it is offering and how it can change the lives of individuals. We all know what batteries are, right? You're probably using one right now to listen to the sweet, dulcet tones of my voice. We use them to power smallish things like the remote, to charge our computers, our phones and our cars. But what if I told you that batteries are going to become even more ubiquitous than they are at this very moment? And that pretty soon you might have a battery that helps power not just your house, but your neighbour's house, and maybe a city too. I'm Dewey Cook, and each episode of The Innovators, I'm going to be interrupting Adam for a few minutes to explain some aspect of renewable energy to you. And today, you guessed it, I'm talking about batteries. When I say batteries, what do you think of? I think of a power source that can be put into electronics that allow the electronics to run without uh, plugging it into the wall. Right. What do you think of when I say the word batteries? I think of a device that uh, stores electrical charge. Well, it doesn't store electrical charge. It stores, I guess, electricity in chemical form. It stores energy in chemical form that can be easily turned into electricity. When I think of batteries, yeah, I think of like TV remotes, like... I guess like keyboards at work sometimes we have batteries for. Mm-hmm. I don't even, yeah, I don't even think we really use batteries that much. <laughs> that might be wrong. <laughs> During this podcast, you'll have heard that Australia is in the grip of a fundamental change in the way we generate, use and share electricity. So where do batteries come in? Well, I dropped in on my work buddy model from Marina's Business Development and Transactions Unit to get that answer. He's known in the office as the guy that can explain complex things really simply, which is why I'm calling this bit Model Explains the World. Hi, Model. Hi, Dewey. How are you doing today? I'm really tired. I've been up really late watching Stranger Things. But, you know, less about me, more about you. Tell me um, all you know about batteries. So Stranger Things, which is on the Netflix platform, is actually a really good example of the role that batteries can play in the system. Okay. So Netflix essentially allows people to watch the TV that that they want to watch when they want to watch it. And batteries is much the same. So if you've got a solar panel on your roof, you can only use that power when the sun is shining. However, if the sun's not shining, there's cloud cover coming over, it's nighttime, then you've got no way to actually use that power. That power doesn't exist. So the role of batteries is much like Netflix is that on-demand content, so too batteries allow people to capture the power of the sun and have on-demand power when they want it and to use it at times when the sun isn't shining. So I watch Netflix at home and what you're talking about is like storing your solar power that's come off your roof, putting it into your battery and using it when you want. But I don't watch Netflix at work, so does it have any broader applications? 
There are probably two different ends of the spectrum to think about when understanding what a battery can actually provide. We can think about the household or the business level, and that's all about maximising self-consumption, backup power, or if you're in an off-grid farm or a mine site. But there's also that at-work nature or that away from the home, and what can that same battery provide as a service to the broader power system and to the grid? So it sounds like there's a trade-off, right, between homes and businesses and residents and industry. How do you make sure that it's a win-win for everybody? So I do have a penchant for analogies, and I may try to use something else to explain how we can get this win-win out. I'm listening. Symphony orchestras. Um, Okay, I can picture one. The basic building block of a symphony orchestra is really the instrument. So each individual instrument is almost like a battery on a house. If we take that one step further, and we have a number of instruments playing together, the orchestra, that's like a network or a neighbourhood of batteries all in one location on the grid. But it's really important that once you've aggregated all those batteries together, that we need to conduct that orchestra, conduct those instruments, and really conduct those batteries to make sure that it plays in unison. Just like in an orchestra, the conductor brings out the best of that pool of instruments, so too, within this battery analogy, a conductor, which could be like Green Six Decks or Apposite Power's grid credits, these are the smarts that help unlock and get the most value out of that network or neighbourhood of batteries. So it sounds like it's a sort of delicate balance in a way to make sure you have all of these components working together to get the right sound, if you like, out of the battery system. So you can have the smartest control systems telling batteries how to charge or discharge, but those batteries have to charge and discharge at a time which makes sense, or economic sense, or even sense for the grid. And those are the markets where those batteries play in. And that market, in the analogy of the symphony orchestra again, is really like the audience. Orchestra and the conductor are working together to provide and make beautiful sound for the audience. So too within this battery analogy. The conductor, that reposit power smart or that green sink dex, is really about optimising how these batteries can play best within the market and deliver services both at the household level and at the grid level to create a win-win. And we heard from Gemma Green earlier about her White Gum Valley project, which is arena-backed, and it sounds like it sort of fits some of that bill. It's a solar PV and batteries, and uh, it's about kind of orchestrating power between households. Yeah, the White Gum Valley project is one of a number of projects that demonstrate elements of the orchestra that we've been talking about. Okay, so sort of in light of all of that, and in light of you know Netflix and instruments and orchestras and conductors and an audience we've also got this reality solar pv generation in australia is really quite big more than 20 percent of households have got panels on the roof so if batteries are the next obvious step does that mean that we're going to see the same uptake in batteries and storage we may very well see a groundswell or a wave of batteries hitting us in the near future but it may be for different reasons that drove the solar pv growth in australia Then it was very much, I'd say, an economic, rational decision. But with batteries, we're starting to see consumer behaviour and this desirability aspect, which is really driving the uptake of batteries in the market. And while from a 
cash flow perspective or a economic rational position, it may not be there just yet. We don't always make economic rational decisions when we buy products. So there you have it. Arena's interested in the future potential of batteries and has been investing in a bunch of projects on both the residential and commercial scale. If you want more info, check out the Arena Wire website where you can also sign up to our fortnightly newsletter. And don't forget to subscribe to the Innovators on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in and leave us a review. Now, back to Adam. Okay, Gemma, power ledger. Now, there are a number of complicated ideas here, um, but at the heart of it, I think it's a fairly straightforward principle. But before we get to that, we should explain what blockchain is it's, and how it applies to what you're doing with power ledger. So a blockchain is literally a, a database or a distributed ledger or database. It's blocks of data chained together. Normally when two companies or organisations transact with each other, they each maintain their own register of information and then one invoices the other and and then they take some time to reconcile that information to pay. The blockchain is saying uh, we won't each have our own database, we'll just have one. And so what that means is you you don't have that whole time-consuming reconciliation process. And so it means that you can pay each other more quickly and so it brings efficiency to a market. And how it's it's being used, like for example, it's being trialled on the stock market right now because if you buy it or sell shares, it takes two days to actually settle the payment and transfer the shares. But instead, you could actually agree the tra- trade and transfer the shares and do the payment all at the same time. And in energy markets, like wholesale electricity markets take between 60 to 80 days to settle payments. And obviously, residents get their electricity bill every 60 days. So if you're selling your surplus solar electricity back to your retailer, you don't get paid for that for 60 days. But our platform and the blockchain means that you could actually be paid the moment the electricity spills out across the network and is consumed by somebody else. So it's a real-time digital ledger, effectively. Exactly. So that's, at one level, straightforward. another level, I imagine it's an intangible idea for some people. It's numbers on a screen. How will what PowerLedger is offering... And how is it in the trials that you're rolling out at the moment change people's lives and how they receive their energy? Well, I think that, you know, for pretty much the past century, consumers have been at the end of a very long line of electricity, which is centralised generation, transmission lines, distribution lines, bringing electricity to our homes. And in the past decade, you know, this new system is emerging, characterised by citizen utilities or citizen power stations and more generation on the distribution part of the um, the energy network. We've seen supply interruptions and blackouts in places like South Australia. We're transitioning from one system to a more hybrid system. And I think what our platform offers is a, a price signal for electricity at all times of the day that could perhaps be met by solar or batteries or other sources of electricity as well. And in creating Uh, more sophistication from a greater pool of buyers and sellers. So our hope is that, you know, this will facilitate more democratisation of power and delivery of resilient and low-cost and low-carbon energy systems. And at a practical level, how does it work? It's connected to people's smart meters, I assume. Exactly, yes. So uh, our... We take a reading from the smart meters, which measures how much electricity is being uh, spilled out onto the network or sucked in uh, for consumption, and that forms a record on on the blockchain, which 
also represents a transfer of sparks, which is a tokenized unit of electricity. Say you and I were buying, I was buying electricity from you. I would have to first purchase sparks and then I send the sparks to your wallet at the same time that the electricity uh, is received by me in the house. So you receive sparks and you can convert those back into dollars and cents into your bank account. And it all happens via smart meters, taking the data and the transaction settlement platform on the blockchain. And it's instantaneous, the payment. Yes. Yes, it is instantaneous. Um, so retailers are obviously going to be, electricity retailers are going to be important in this. Uh, they're going to have to be willing to let their customers use it, I assume. And you've already signed a deal with Origin. What's the retailer's attitude to this and what is their role? Our system is designed with uh, retailers in mind. They're what we call application hosts on our system. So if a, a retailer wants to offer peer-to-peer trading to their customers, they become an application host on our system and basically allow them to trade peer-to-peer. And it can happen one of three ways. They can either do peer-to-peer trading on our platform and then have a separate bill with the rest of their electricity. They can uh, white-label our platform so it's integrated into an electricity bill or the whole transaction, peer-to-peer plus the rest of electricity, all happens on the PowerLedger platform. And we are really excited about the trial that we're doing with Origin Energy, which obviously is the largest retailer in Australia with about 4.2 million customers. I think that the energy retailers are really interested in our technology because they know their customers want peer-to-peer trading and that they're more likely to retain their customers if they give them what they want because retail churn is quite a costly exercise for retailers. So they spend, it's about 30% churn per year and they spend a lot of money on customer acquisition and retention. Our view is that peer-to-peer off means that they are more likely to have a more enduring relationship with their customers. It's an extraordinary figure, 30% of customers moving from one retailer to another each year. Do the retailers see it the way that you do at this point, that this sort of model is the way to help retain them? Uh, well, I, I can't speak on behalf of all retailers, but certainly many that we've engaged with, uh, you know, Perhaps it takes some time to understand the technology and why the blockchain and why not just a you know MySQL database and and uh, and how would you want to manage that market? But I I've, we've found that people are and the, the retailers and also the the network operators are really interested in blockchain and peer to peer trading. So you started with a trial in Bustleton in a town in southwest. Western Australia? Yes. How did that go and what did you learn from it? That trial went from August to December 2016 at the National Lifestyle Villages and we successfully showed how peer-to-peer trading would work and we got feedback from the retirees about how they found the platform and we were very pleased with the response. They found it easy to use and it was very much a set and forget. And the people that had solar panels could see how much more they could get for their electricity and the people that didn't have it saw how much cheaper their electricity could be. And when you say set and forget in this case, can you explain what that means? Basically, they you know installed the software and they could set the parameters of how they wanted to trade and then 
the system did the rest so they didn't have to, you know, interact with the platform. And I think some people want to gamify it, but like 95% of people want to set it up and, and forget about it and just know that it's doing what it says on the tin. And effectively it's programmed so you get the best price. Correct. From Bustleton, where have you expanded to? Where are the current trials? So we've been doing a trial in Auckland in New Zealand with Vector, who have about two-thirds of the Auckland network business. In that peer-to-peer trial, we've also connected banking services. So that's where customers can transfer money from their bank account to the PowerLedger platform to purchase Sparks, which they can then use to transact electricity. And they can also off-ramp the Sparks back into their bank account, which is the first of its kind, as I understand it, in the world. It took quite a long time to get banks to be willing to provide banking services to us as a blockchain company. Many of the banks are very uh, reticent about blockchain and like know your customer and things like that. But we were very fortunate enough to demonstrate to the bank that the system is watertight. And so we've basically connected that functionality as a part of the the trial in New Zealand. And then since then, we've announced a trial in Tasmania, one in a partnership in Queensland. We've got the two apartment buildings in White Gum Valley with a number of others under construction. And we've also announced a deal with Tech Mahindra in India to trial our technology in microgrids there. So presumably this only will work in certain places. It will depend on, for example, what the feed-in tariff for solar available in that community is, how, how much money you get for your, whatever you feed into the grid at the moment. Is that right? Are there certain places this will work and others where it'll be less applicable? I think that they'll, it'll be more or less attractive, yeah, depending on what the how high the price of electricity is, how what the current feed-in tariff is and, and what kind of bespoke network tariffs the network operators are willing to negotiate for using a discrete part of the network. So yeah, there's quite a lot of those factors that will determine the attractiveness of any particular market. I haven't mentioned, but we've also got another product called Asset Germination, which is using the blockchain uh, to do a kind of crowdfunding for a renewable energy project. So you might have a community solar farm that sells small fractions of ownership using the blockchain as the asset and income register. So I might, you know, invest thousand dollars and buy 0.01 percent of a solar farm and as a result of that get 0.01 percent of any income that that asset might generate we're just in the process of selecting what will be the first project to deploy that on so it's effectively tokenizing an asset we should talk Gemma about your fairly extraordinary initial coin offering that began in August I think you have brought in $34 million for the, and it was the yes. first of its kind using cryptocurrency, not Bitcoin, but the tokens that you're using as part of the project. Can you tell me what is it about the market right now that's triggering this sort of interest? What do you think the market sees in it? Well, blockchain companies, many of them are actually you know, creating a token or a, a coin that prefer, performs a certain function and selling some or all of those tokens to the market. And this year alone, blockchain companies have raised about one and a half billion US dollars from doing that. And it's very much disrupting venture capital funding for blockchain companies. Uh, So I think it's a very interesting way for blockchain companies to uh, raise funds. And it, it means that more people can participate in 
their market by you know owning a token. In our case, I mentioned that the token is uh, a license and a bond on, on our peer-to-peer platform. Uh, but yeah, we, so we created a power token. It's spelled P-O-W-R, and that is was the first initial coin offering conducted in Australia. And we worked with Alan's Linklater's lawyers to understand if it could be done legally in Australia, and if so, how. And uh, they advised us, yes, it could. And uh, they said that although our power token isn't a security and it's also not a financial product, um, they suggested that we do our disclosure documentation to the standard of a financial product, which we, we did. And, I mean, there's quite a lot of blockchain companies that are doing initial coin offerings in the market and they're, they're setting up like a foundation to, to undertake that activity, so like a separate entity um, and they're often doing it without a jurisdiction attached to it. It means in you're able to do it without a country attached to the ICO, which means there's no real legal recourse for any people that participate in it. But uh, we decided to do it under our PTY LTD in Power Ledger um, in Australia, and so we're paying tax on the income and uh, we are very proud about the standard to which we've done our initial coin offering because we saw a lot of these companies doing things to very variable standard, let's say, and some of them with va- what you would call vaporware. So they produce a white paper and they don't really, they've never developed the platform or applications or they don't have any customers and raising quite a lot of money. And I saw that as quite concerning and so we, yeah, basically we decided to debut in the Australian market to what we believe at least is to a very high standard. But $34 million is an extraordinary response. Why do you think it appealed to the market as much as it did? Well, our mission as a company is around the democratisation of power. And I think that, it, you know, there were 15,000 buyers who bought power tokens and so it's, and it very dispersed from a country perspective as well. And I just think that people bought into what we're up to as a company, which is around building distributed, resilient, low-cost and low-carbon energy systems. And they perhaps feel rightly or wrongly that they're not getting a good deal and that our platform is a kind of response to that that empowers them. So I, I, although, and so I think that that's probably, hopefully partly why they uh, decided to join us. What is the next step for Power Ledger? At the moment, you're trialling in a number of places. How mm. broad do you think its application can be? I'm spending quite a lot of my time on it with the hope that it can be very broad and wide. And um, although, you know, the success of the initial coin offering is very exciting, I just see it as, oh, we've stopped at the gas station to pick up a bit of fuel on the way, The the real... Um, proof is yet to be, pro- you know, the proof in the pudding. We have to deliver on our mission and use these resources very wisely. Yeah, I guess our, our leadership around that is yet to be proven and tested. Well, it's been an extraordinary start. Thanks very much for your time today, Gemma, and all the best with it. Thank you. Next episode, how a scientific failure led to the discovery of a paint that can produce clean hydrogen energy. Could it one day be powering your home? I'm Adam Morton. Thanks for listening to The Innovators, a rewired podcast by Arena. You can find us and review us and tell us how much you like us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. 
You can also find out heaps more about renewable energy and the energy transition that's underway by following us on Facebook or going to the Arena Wire website where there's a stack of information updated daily. It's at arena.gov.au forward slash blog. <laughs>